Thank you for listening to Comics for Fun and Profit. This is Drew with a special episode of my other podcast that I co-host regularly. And uh, it's Weekly Comic Spotlight over at John Mayo's comic book page. And uh, for those of you who haven't heard it, I wanted to give you a chance to listen to it. It's a standard review show of uh, a Marvel, a DC, and an independent comic. Uh, each week. So uh, check this out. And if you like it, go over there and subscribe or check out uh, those those episodes. They're a lot of fun. So thanks again for listening. Um, here you go. Now starting us off in DC is Deathstroke number 28. This is written by Christopher Priest. And sometimes I like his writing. Sometimes I don't. And this is one where the writing just didn't quite work for me in a couple of ways. And I don't know if I was just to have my mind on other stuff or what, but it really kind of felt like this issue jumped around a bit from scene to scene. Just a bit. Okay, so it's not my imagination. It is not. Okay. No. I was uh, I was thinking of, there used to be the old-time variety show reruns that I'd watch at my grandmother's, and there was a plate spinner. Mm-hmm. Who would who would start spinning a plate <laughs> yes. and then have to move to the other and then move to the other, but then he'd have to run back to that first plate and keep it from falling off. And that's what I felt when I was reading this. I was like, oh, there's a little this is a little section of the story. Oh, now we're gonna jump over here. Now we're gonna jump over here. We better get back to this thing. And um like that can work, I guess. But I, I, I too felt like there was a little too much jumping. I counted at least fourteen jumps in time and space. Not counting all the ones in like those rapid fire flashbacks we got a time or two. And (laughs) this issue footnoted at least nine different previous issues of this title. Yeah, there was a lot of them. And I mean, there's a lot of story going on, but I think your analogy of the spinning plates uh, is a really good one. And it's like there's almost too many stories to be told in this. And a lot of them are around, not Deathstroke, but his family. Either it's Wintergreen, or it's his wife, or it's Joey, uh, Jericho, or it's Rose. Or And not that Deathstroke doesn't show up, he shows up quite a bit and has a lot going on. But, like, after this last arc, um, which in theory I think this was kind of closing out with the whole Defiance stuff um, with that team... Uh, they were just completely tossed to the side in the annual uh, last week or the week before. I mean, I just read that before reading this. And it was like literally uh, one character wakes up and in the span of like going down for breakfast or something, everything falls apart for the team. She basically, you know, ostracizes everybody. It was, it was amazing. And it was very much like, okay, we're done with the story. Let's disperse these characters we don't need and focus back on what we want to tell. Um... And I think if you had missed that annual, you might come into this thinking what happened to them. Or if you'd been liking that previous arc, with, which had Kid Flash and Power Girl. And in fairness, most of the other t- team members of, of Defiance, Jericho, Rose, and Terra, are longtime Deathstroke characters. So they kind of stick around because they, they would have anyways. But I just was was unimpressed by the disjointedness. The art didn't particularly wow me. And there was an almost Liefeld-esque quality to it in places where proportions and and uh, perspective and stuff didn't feel quite right. Not, oh my god, you've got to be kidding me, but enough that it didn't help the story either. Um, but I, I couldn't tell how much of that was just I kept getting 
kind of thrown out of the story by the the jumping around that the writing had. Yeah, the 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 team of uh, Di- Diogenes Neves is the penciler with Trevor Scott on inks. Um, yeah, I thought that, I thought there were some really nice panels, but um, I could definitely see where there may have been some problematic areas for you. But all in all, I thought the art was not the problem. It was more it was more writing for me and and. I'd heard a lot of good things about Deathstroke. It, you know, and it was an Eisner-nominated DC series, which in recent history there haven't been very many of those. When was it and, Eisner nominated? Last year or yeah, la- the last wow. the last cycle through. Okay, and and so you know, wow, Deathstroke got nominated for an Eisner for best series. That's that's really saying something. And so you know, I, I keep attempting to hop on um, sporadically since then and. And I haven't found that whatever that is that that other people are are finding in this, and uh, it's just uh, this issue in particular with all the the jumping around. And, and I don't know if the plot really moved forward from the beginning to the end because of all that jumping around. And uh, it it for me it just didn't it didn't have a hook it didn't it didn't pull me in and it didn't make me uh, want to come back. I was a little disappointed in it. Well, I, I think any movement it may have had, again, goes in that spinning kind of a metaphor where they, they are reminding us of plot lines, but I would agree, it didn't feel like anything moved substantially forward. And I think that's problematic because you can't just keep teasing, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do this or whatever, and never really move the story forward. I also just have some conceptual problems with one or two of the things they've been doing with the character in this run, and I think some of that predates Christopher Priest. This whole icon suit or whatever that is giving uh, uh, Deathstroke and the four or five other people who have similar suits, you know, various powers, be it a flight or increased invulnerability or, or what have you. The Deathstroke, I remember pre-Flashpoint and such, he didn't need any of that. He was just that good. Yeah, or the ones that we're reminded of in uh, Green Arrow. You know uh, mm-hmm. that char- that we're seeing uh, in on television regularly. It, it doesn't really line up. Yeah. Well, and this version of Jericho is so unlike the classic Wolfman Perez version that it is just appalling at times. Um, I did like I do like the practice of um, crediting. Uh, creators for their contributions um deathstroke created by marv wolfman and george perez i I think i think those are nice touches i don't know that they do them consistently and i think they must pick and choose who they honor with those or are forced to through litigation i'm not sure i don't think it's it's litigation at least in the case of wolfman perez certainly the agreement i was thinking of the uh superman seagull schuster stuff down there well that looks like a, a lawyer wrote that I was going to comment on that because the reason that's in there is because we have new Superman, not even the Clark Kent Superman. Yeah. And it's like those guys didn't create the current Chinese guy that we've got in as the new Superman. No. Um, so to me, them getting credit for derivative work, now granted we wouldn't have had this new Superman without the other one, but... The point is, we had the other Superman for like, uh, what, 75 plus years, 76, 78, or whatever, before we got this new Superman. Um, the only thing they really borrowed was the name and, and the rough power set, but you could argue that's become iconic. I, I like it when they do that, but then there's so many other characters in here that they could have also credited somebody with having created. 
Yeah, so I'm not I'm not sure what the line is and um what 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 rises to the occasion of this character was created by this person and um but it, I always it always seems usually nice a nice touch when they add it. I would hazard to guess that the line is title character and or okay. one of the big dogs uh the the Trinity Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman or something of that sort. That's what I would suspect, but I honestly haven't given it a whole lot of thought and really noticed where where and when they credit characters, again, like Superman here, that I wouldn't have otherwise expected. Um, who do they credit Wonder Woman to? Um, the creator of it, William... Uh, I forget his name. Um, okay. They do, they do credit, that, cr- credit him, then. Okay. I thought so. Uh, and that one also may be contractual, because my understanding is they have the rights to... Uh, uh, retain the rights to Wonder Woman so long as they do four issues a year featuring the character. Which these days sounds like a, a laughably low number. Keep in mind that was probably agreed upon uh, at least uh, before the 80s. That much I'm certain of. Um, and at one point there was a Legend of Wonder Woman miniseries that lasted four issues between uh, this was around the time of Crisis between the previous run and before the Perez run started. And that was to guarantee they got the number of issues out that year to, to retain the, the rights to the character. And those were the only four? I don't think they were the only four. I just don't okay. remember the exact timing because this would have been 84, 85-ish. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if it's calendar year rolling 12 months. Don't know. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lawyer who could tell you. <laughs> Maybe. That's that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the new Superman, he was in here having blatantly announced his uh, intent to to go after uh, Deathstroke because, of course, that's how you know you do international things. Uh, you're on what a ferry going across the river or whatever, and and, and announce it or something. I don't know. It's crazy. Uh, what I did find interesting, although non consequential, is he is in uh, not his current um, outfit. In one of the stories a few months ago, um, I think it was uh, I think it was December. He his costume changed a little to an S that was almost more of a yin yang kind of symbol or whatever. Um, so I don't know if that's dating the story as having happened prior to it, or if this artist just didn't get the memo that the the costume was slightly different. Either way, it doesn't really matter. Um, but it was something I noticed. Yeah. So you've been reading this the whole time and previous iterations as well how does this stack up for you versus um uh, other death strokes in, of the past uh low on the rankings okay in terms of there have been other runs that i thought were much much better and this between kind of that spinning plates and the art in some places was was good other places i thought very it's like wow that they it felt like it was shortcutted there or something um it this is not a title I would recommend. Um, I like the character, but frankly, if I wasn't a longtime fan of Deathstroke and related characters like Terra and, and Jericho and, and Rose and stuff, um, this could be a pretty easy title for me to cut. It's it's not one that, um, you know, like you said, it didn't hook you, and I don't think it would hook it, most people. Um, it's not so bad that I feel, oh, I've got to drop the title or something, but I would certainly be game if they got a, a better... Uh, creative team, or at least one more to my liking. Let me phrase it that way. These guys aren't doing a bad job. It's just not really working for me. Yeah, um, makes me question the Eisner process a little. But maybe there was a there was a run that last year that that really was amazing, and I don't know. Uh, I'm not seeing it here, and uh, 
this issue not even though it's a first issue of a story arc, it's not one I would recommend and hand to someone to say, here, check this out. You'll get a good sense of whether you want to read this title or not. Um, so kind of, kind of a bummer, uh, of a, of a jumping on point and, uh, definitely a jumping off point for me. I, I think I'm going to go with a D plus. I, I can understand that. I think it was a, a first part of a story, but more really first part of a chapter because this was definitely picking up on the heels of, of past events. Um, so I think they're, I think DC's been fudging the, the part one aspect a bit. Uh, I'm going to go with a, a C minus on this. Um, like I said, it's, it's not the worst thing I've ever read. It just, it didn't really connect with me. And I think if they were to focus the storytelling, that would be advantageous for the title, but they're, they're going to do what they're going to do. And I think it was definitely a different creative team that, probably got that Eisner uh, nominee, but even when they had like the crossover with the Titans and stuff where I thought it was was much better than this, I wouldn't have said it was the best thing coming out from DC, much less uh, all of comics or something. So I don't know that I'd have gone with the Eisner uh, nominee for it myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it makes me question their process. Yeah. A lot of good DC stuff, um, and to select this one, eh, I don't know. I wish there was something that the judges would would do to elucidate their thinking on this as to we, we thought it deserved it because not just hey it won um because maybe they saw something in a particular story arc or a particular aspect of it that either is escaping my memory right now or i just didn't feel the same way on but uh yeah yeah you never know what it takes to get to get in the short list yeah shall we move on to our marvel book yes this is x-men red number one uh, because we need apparently another X-Men team. It's, I was, uh, going through doing the number crunching this weekend for the January numbers, and there was some reorder activity on X-Men Blue and Gold that got me looking at the titles. And what I noticed is X-Men Blue, X-Men Gold, and, uh, Weapon X, and I think Astonishing X-Men are all selling at roughly the same numbers, which I'm thinking 40,000 range. I could be off. I'm doing that from memory. My point being, there's no clear flagship for the X-Men franchise right now. And here they are tossing in another X-Men book. And this one, of course, featuring the uh, recently resurrected uh, Jean Grey um, and some other characters. And overall, I like this. Tom Taylor, I think, is a very talented writer. But there were a few kind of writing conventions, crutches, call them what you will. Uh, you know, hey, let's start with an opening scene of the X-Men rescuing a mutant. And then let's cut to two months earlier and kind of build up to how we got here. As if you need to build up to why a mutant in the Marvel Universe needs rescuing. It's kind of just the way it is. You know, and I'm a little less for, I'm a little more forgiving of those if they connect the dots by the end of the issue. But they didn't seem to get back to where we were, uh, when they, when they went back. So I guess that the whole story arc will be getting us back to that, that two months later. Is that was that your take? That makes. I mean, yeah, they didn't connect at the end of this. Uh, if it takes six issues to find out who Heather is and why we should care, like maybe I don't know what her powers are or something, I'm going to be a little disappointed by that. Um, and there were a couple of other characters that show up, um, specifically uh, Gentle and Trinary, that I'm assuming are not having been seen before characters. I, I hesitate to use the term that they're new mutants because that's a different team. Um, I didn't recognize them. I don't know if we've seen them before or not, but all they do in this issue is, uh, at the end of that opening sequence, 
stand there heroically. Um, and it's like, is it going to take us that long to circle back and find out what's going on? But there were a couple of moments here that I really liked. There was one or two moments that I thought were particular groaners, like uh, the name of their headquarters. <laughs> yeah. Of the C- Cerebro? Cerebro? Cerebro with C S E A E Rebro or Rebro or whatever. And I'm like, C, C- I'm, I can't even do this verbally. It's one that I think would work better. I was going to do a seriously kind of a thing on it, but C, you know. I don't know, the whole thing with, with playing on the name of Cerebro, uh, but doing the pun on the sea because they're underwater 3,000 feet down or whatever, it's like, uh, and they've apparently just bamfed in there with, with Nightcrawler. It's like, I'm not sure that's quite how his powers work with line of sight and all of that, but hey, let's ignore all of that that's been, you know, uh, uh, established continuity and whatnot for a few decades. Now, that's, that's the first time we've seen Cerebro yes. as a underwater fortress because I don't remember seeing it anywhere. Brand new, as far as I know. Okay, I I yeah. don't recall seeing it before. I, yeah, I thought that that was a really interesting um, reveal, and I was excited to see more of it. And then we didn't. Uh, I thought the the United Nations and political acts aspect of this was fun. I liked you know getting the votes ahead of time and and shoring up support uh, from some cool characters. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoy I enjoyed that a lot. And then the whole um, motion and, and, and working through the bureaucracy, I, I really enjoyed that. I thought that was fun. And, um, you know, the the unfortunate turn at the end that kind of set everything back and and derailed the, the whole uh, plan that she had. Um, you know, that was a that was a really good move and, and worked really well on the page. And so there, I think there's a lot of fun stuff in here and I really like a lot of the characters. They work well together. There's tons of great stuff in here to like. And, um, uh, I, I find that, that a lot of it's working really well, um, and, and working well together. I, I would agree with that. The whole United Nations bit when Jean addressed them, I thought that was really well done. I was surprised by that because the, the, comic was billed as, you know, this team will use any means necessary. And I'm like, well, a diplomatic approach. They are going with any means necessary. I mean, I, I didn't see that coming, but having both Atlantis and Wakanda recognize this, this mutant nation, whatever that's going to be, um, I thought was very interesting. It made sense. Um, I'm curious where they're going with this, because they seem to be going in a different direction than let's have everybody live together in Genosha or, or whatever. Uh, the events afterwards, particularly with that UK ambassador, uh, when she was talking to Jean, as that was happening, I'm like, I think I know who's pulling some strings here, and I, I was right a few pages later. It was a cool reveal, and it's one of those things, though, that when you're dealing with the X-Men, you've got to expect public opinion is going to drastically change against the X-Men on, on rapid notice. I mean, they should have danger room maneuvers around that by this point. It happens so often. Um, in this case, it was incredibly well kind of orchestrated and whatnot. Um, and again, uh, artfully done, uh, both literally on the art, but also story-wise. Um, this is going in some different directions than I think the X-Men have done before, or at least different um, a different way of telling similar sorts of stories, if you know what I mean. Yes. Yeah, and, and I think some of the other team members are are good team members. I really I really like Nightcrawler. I really like All New Wolverine and I like Honey Badger a lot. Um they didn't get a lot of time 
in this and didn't play major roles, but I can see them uh, getting a little more uh, screen time in future issues. But I thought they were they were used well in in limited fashion, and it's a it's a team that I that I like, um, and so like more parts of it than maybe I do uh, the the re- the blue and the what's the other one gold blue and gold yeah 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 so um i'm i'm hoping uh if the if the this series continues as this first issue that this can be my my uh, x team book again because i i've been without one for a while and um so i'm I'm looking forward to the next issue and hoping i hope it's as as good and strong as this issue is because i thought this was really good I would agree story-wise, this is really strong. I thought the art could have been a little better, but it, it certainly told the story very effectively. I think with this lineup of mutants, it's hard to consider this the flagship X-Book, but I think they may be trying to position Astonishing X-Men that way, just failing to do so. <laughs> yeah. But I do like this lineup. Uh, I'm curious, particularly if uh, Trinary and, and Gentle are going to become members, if they're going to become meaningful members or what. Uh, I was kind of expecting the other Jean Grey to show up here, but it makes sense kind of that she didn't. But not having any other uh, kind of core X-Men, if you will, because uh, Wolverine, this is the, the new one, not the original. It's not even Old Man Logan, for that matter. But we don't have any of the more iconic, I mean, uh, Nightcrawler being the, the exception, of course, he's a long time X-Men, um, starting no beast, no Cyclops, no Colossus, yeah. Or Storm or, you know, I mean, you you know, Kitty Pride, Rogue, Gambit, uh, uh, I mean, there's probably another dozen you could list that would be considered kind of primary X-Men, if you will. And do you think that's, um, something Marvel is doing deliberately by, putting these different teams together with maybe an iconic character or two and seeing and how the teams shake out what fan response is what sales response is for these and then making a decision for what the new uh flagship is going to be after wolverine returns after that long miniseries whenever that whenever that happens i don't think they're that data driven but i could be wrong I think they're just picking different mixes of characters to see what happens, but if they've got a solid game plan for this, it eludes me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would hope that there's there's something to be learned from these. Um, cause I, I don't know if Astonishing Gold and Blue are going to um, last. Do they have in-game... Have they been announced as when they're going to end yet, any of those? Not that I'm aware of. Not, not yet, but I, I can't imagine that they're going to continue like this, um, especially once once Wolverine returns. I would think there'd be one. I would think they would try at least one big unifying title um, to capitalize on on longtime X-Men fans and, and, and folks that want to see that. I would expect at some point they'll do kind of what they're doing with the Avengers, merge them, go weekly for uh, a few months and then split them back out. But even splitting them back out, the the X-Men Blue is essentially young X-Men, and that's been going on for a good couple of years now. So I think they can run with this long term. I just, I don't know that they they should. Um, so X-Men Blue is kind of like the all-new X-Men title? Uh, it's the, the time-displaced group. 
Yes, yes, okay. Was that all new X-Men, or was that young X-Men? Or I think that was all new X-Men. Maybe it was all new X-Men. There's so many X-Titles, and they shuffle them every so often, it's hard to keep track. It is It is very challenging to keep track of, of who's who and, and who's on what team, and and who, who is which, which is supposed to be the... The premier title, which is which one is supposed to do the heavy lifting? I I don't know. I would expect it to be uh, astonishing right now, but sales wise, it's almost indistinguishable from the others. I, I think they need to shore up the X Men line. I mean, they're telling decent stories in some cases, but the sales just aren't there. And I think a lot of it is because there isn't an X Men title. You want X Men? There's now three flavors of x-men you know just with x-men is the start of the title yourself do you have a clear favorite for yourself uh i've tended to be enjoying probably weapon x the most out of them after that i would probably say blue and then um it's a bit of a toss-up between gold and uh astonishing okay um i'll tell you right now if i were over at the xr office the the change i would make is I would add uh, Jamie Madrox, the multiple man, to the team. And by which I mean each of the teams. <laughs> and he could do it. He could be in multiple places at once. Why not? This was a, a fun issue. Um, it's got a lot of promise. Uh, I think Tom Taylor's got a lot he can do with the X-Men, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. Like I said, this is a, a different approach to some of the, the classic uh, X-Men kind of problems or whatever. And I want to see where he goes with it. Uh, for me, it was a very solid B, and uh, it's one I would, would recommend people check out. Yeah, I, I think um, Story's King here. I think uh, Tom Taylor did a really good job of, of hooking me, bringing me into this. This is, this is something that I would recommend to others to sample and check out if they're interested in an, in an X book uh, to try. Um, definitely something that, that I think has a good foundation going forward. So I'm going to go I'm right on the... B plus a minus range. I think you're right about the art though. So I'm going to go with the B plus. It's still, it's still a really good read and a lot of fun. Yeah. It's one that if they had gotten, um, you know, like a, a John Cassidy or, uh, some other really, you know, top notch artist, this is one they could have instantly become almost the flagship book for, you know, a little bit maybe. Yeah. Um, we'll see how it goes. I'm, I'm curious, uh, it's just I was surprised when I looked at the X-Men sales numbers how they were all almost right next to each other. And, and again, at that uh, 40-ish thousand level, I forget exactly where. Yeah, because historically, you know, there should be an X-Book in the top 10. You know, there, there should be uh, always be a Spidey up there. There should always be an Avengers book up there in my head, in my my idealized version of, of what should be selling those three should should have a, a premier book that is, sells really well. Well, in the, in the past, when we've had a clear flagship title and then the other books in the franchise, there's always been that one that's selling head and shoulders above the rest. You know, you would have Batman and then you would have Legends of the Dark Knight. You would have, you know, uh, uh, other yep. Batman flavors, but it's clear. Well, there's Batman. Or you would have X-Men and you would have peripheral titles, you know, X-Factor, X-Force, whatever. X-Men would be the top seller. You'd have like Green Lantern and then you'd have Green Lantern Corps or some other stuff. But now it's it's unclear where the lead character is. Isn't the flagship book? The flagship book doesn't have quite the pull and therefore it's not the flagship book. And this is, I think, why a lot of people are saying there's simply, you know, too many comics coming out. There's a, a plethora of choices and no clear, this is the one you ought to be getting. So we'll we'll see what they do. I think... You know, with them announcing Wolverine coming back and all that at some point, uh, 
every year or two, we get a, a pretty good shakeup on how the teams are aligned with the X-Men. Um, and that'll probably be the next major shakeup of that sort. Will this be every two weeks as well? I am not sure. It would not surprise me. Matter of fact, okay. I'd be a little surprised if it was not. And what that means is we may get a different artist uh, on the next arc, just because I would imagine they'd need to kind of swap yeah. them out every other arc. Yeah, and that, and that might be an improvement. Could be. Shall we move on to our other book? Yeah. This is Versus Number One from Image. It is by uh, Ivan Brandon and Isad Ribic on art. And this is one that I've got kind of mixed feelings on. Um, Did you pre-order this or is this a sample uh, from the PDF? A sample from the PDF. Okay. And it was one that I looked at and I considered getting, but uh, just didn't pull the trigger on. And having read the the press PDF, I'm kind of okay with that. Because, I mean, the the art is exactly what I expected out of Isad Rivik. But the story, it just didn't connect with me. And I don't know, I mean, part of it was the the way it started was really slow and, and quiet. And I don't mean like in a wordless sense, but, you know, you've got these people there. There's, uh, as you find out, what, five pages in before we actually see anybody? They're waiting. They're apparently uh, in a war zone or whatever. And it takes like five, six, seven pages before we really get things starting to happen. And I'm like, okay, you've got, I don't know, I don't know how many pages this was, 20-ish or something, and, and you've just spent a, a, at least a quarter of it with a, a slow tease. And I'm like, man, you've got to get me hooked in this first issue, and that's not doing it. And then we get this this battle, and I'm not sure why they're fighting, who they're fighting, and what's going on, and it looks like they're pretty much getting toasted. And then we get this, this bizarre uh, thing happen, this vid error, and we get a three-minute war delay. I'm like, I, I'm not quite sure I'm understanding what's going on there. And this is where I started to get a little bounced out of the story in terms of they've got an idea here, but I'm not following because they haven't really explained. And then we start getting the um, the the captions for the TV coverage equivalent, the, the ads and some other stuff like that. And I get these are in-world and it's supposed to be giving us flavor and whatnot. Didn't add to the story for me. And then we get to, to one point and then I hit this, this, uh, you know, flip to the next page, and suddenly we're elsewhere, else when. And I'm like, when did this guy get injured? I assume that's the guy I was just looking at, but he seemed fine there. I guess something happened afterwards. It just kind of threw me out of the story. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I was a bit confused. I mean, I, I guess it's some kind of um, televised war show of some sort that, and, and you know. It, it's bloody and it's violent, but you know you can't you can't violate the rules of it, or or even though you kill the other guy, you still are disqualified from the match or something. It, it, I guess that there's kernels of stuff that could be interesting, but unfortunately the execution is 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 so unclear, really, what's going on that I, I wasn't able to really enjoy it. Um, there, there were like little pieces of things like, okay, I guess this could be interesting, but I don't really get this story well enough to to know who who everybody is and and what's what exactly is happening in this world and and what is this world? I mean, you, you didn't really do a good job of building this for me, and the art is 
is quintessential Aesop Ribic. It's it's very nice in places and really fully rendered and detailed and and lovely. But that that's only half the battle. And unfortunately, I don't think the writing is is anywhere near that level of the art. And I I was I was kind of lost and not in a um well I'll you know what there's so much cool stuff here I'll get it later. I, I just it, it just lost me and, and never really hooked me throughout. And um, it, it was kind of disappointing because I had higher hopes for this. Well, yeah, it, it was one of those things where, again, the the art, I don't think was falling down on the job, but some of the storytelling decisions of, OK, let's flip from one character to another as if we're flipping, you know, uh, channels on the, the TV screen or, or what player of you were watching or whatever it it made it harder to follow the story there are rules to this game but we're completely in the dark on it and it may be something that as we get more un, uh, uncovered and and revealed or whatever it may make more sense i don't know that it's really going to get the chance for that because it's it's a rough market out there and i think a lot of people are are potentially going to read it and say i i don't get it i didn't follow why should i come back and I didn't feel there was any character that I was connected enough to 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 make me. Kind of, well, I want to see what happens to that guy. You know, I was yeah, yeah. I was disappointed. Yeah, this is this is one of these where I'm sure Eric Stevenson greenlights this because Esau Ribic is attached to it. And well, yeah, if he if he wants to do a creator own, let yeah, let him do it here and not going to um, worry too much about what the content is and that can. Sometimes be awesome, and sometimes it can miss its mark pretty badly. And and I th- and I, just, I think this is a miss, and I don't think it's going to connect with a lot of readers. I don't think it's just you and I. Uh, I I really think there's there's some definite storytelling that's missing here um, for a first issue, for uh, accessibility, for um, for fun. Uh, it's just it's just not in this book, and not something that that I, I think a lot of people will will say, I just can't wait to read the next issue. I don't, I don't think there's anything here to bring you back. Yeah, I was, I was following or watching the events, but I couldn't follow the story. And that it's the story that brings you back from, from issue to issue. Uh, maybe it's going to connect to people, but I'd, it'd be one of those again, I wouldn't fully understand why. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually pre-ordered this, um, but I only pre-ordered the first issue, pre-ordered the first issue just to check it out and see if it was something for me. And it's clearly not. Um, I, I think the art does, does if for people that love art, you know, you're going to, you're going to be well rewarded here, but you're going to be lacking in the story. So um, I'm going to go with a C minus and uh, just not for me. Yeah. I'm right there with you. It's, if it wasn't for the art, uh, I, I probably would have gone lower. Yeah. But again, Isad Rebic does, uh, great work but i just wish it was a story that had more to it yeah um i also found one or two things on the the text page at the interesting uh the the back kind of interesting and almost laughable on just how hard it was for them to to coordinate the schedules and get this out because i mean the writer he's he's so busy with his day job over at paramount studios and and Esad, he's got this big event over at Marvel, another one uh, uh, with Louis Vuitton and this other stuff. They're just so busy, you know? And I'm like, are you trying to get sympathy out of us? <laughs> and this is one of those where it's not, 
not all the time, but but more often than than I guess I care for, I'll get a first issue that has the this is what it took for us to pull this together. I hope you guys love it. And invariably is not followed too long afterwards, uh, or followed not too long afterwards, with the, oh, this was a passion project. We were so sorry it's ending, but, you know, it just didn't work or whatever. There's a little of uh, kind of the award acceptance speechness to some of these back pages at times that I just find humorous. It didn't used to be that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was fan letters. <laughs> they some still do that. <laughs> Few and far between, though. Yeah, yeah. It's usually essays. Well, a lot of essays now. Yeah, which are fine sometimes. You know, sometimes you know Lazarus essays are pretty cool. Brubaker essays are pretty cool. Um, um, BKV does great back matter. Um, but I don't know. Some some of them fall well short of that. Yeah. Thanks for listening to John Mayo and I review a DC, a Marvel, and a other publisher's book. We do that each and every week. If you enjoyed that, and uh, check back here. And you can also check out John's podcast, The Weekly Comic Spotlight. Check him out at the, uh, the comic book page website. Thank you guys for listening. Drew signing off.